Welcome to Capability Amplifier, the show for business owners and entrepreneurs who want high-performance upgrades for their brains, bodies, and bank accounts. Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here with Mike Koenigs, and this is Capability Amplifier. Mike, I'd like to just introduce, I've got a big graphic for this, which we can download to our listeners if they want to get the download at the end of this particular podcast. Yeah, head on over to Capability Amplifier, I have to say. (laughs) There you'll see the show notes for this episode. Yeah, and grab this. I'm looking at it, Dan. What is the Free Zone Frontier? Well, it's a name that kind of came up in conversation, but what it means is two things that all entrepreneurial growth consists of seeing an opportunity, seeing unused capabilities, seeing resources that are not being used, and you put them together in a new way. And for a time period, you push the frontier of human ambition, human capability. You push it out into the future in such a way that you kind of have a free zone. You're free of competition. You're free of regulation. Those are the two main things which interfere with entrepreneurial activity is competition and regulation. And the thought that I had, because I had read a terrific book, old book, it was more than 100 years old, it's called The History of the Frontier in America. And it's the story of how the frontier in America went from the Atlantic coast to the Pacific coast between 1620. Next year is the anniversary of the first permanent settlement in the United States. In other words, it was settled in 1620, and it's been continuous since. So this is really considered the start of the more or less Anglo colonization of North America, the expansion of North America. South and Central had been, you know, explored and taken over by the Spanish and Portuguese earlier. But the 1620 and 1890 is considered the end of the frontier in America because the Census Bureau, first of all, it tells you how established they are that they have a Census Bureau, and they declared that all land in the 48 states Of course, Alaska and Hawaii didn't figure in yet, but the 48 states, I think it was 44 states at the time, maybe 43 states at that point, all that land had been surveyed, and so there was no more unaccounted frontier land-wise in the United States. And it got me an idea that America is really a great example of a free zone frontier because the great growth of America. So from 1620 to 1890, it grew from the first 200 who made it through the first couple winters in Jamestown, Virginia. In 1890, it was 63 million. So that's quite a jump of population over a 270-year period. And What I contend is that the magic formula here was actually combining free people who didn't want to be in Europe, didn't want to be in Africa, didn't want to be in Asia any longer, or were actually captured and brought over one way or another. They made it to the pretty empty North American continent and was combined with more or less free land. So in order to push the boundaries westward, the U.S., government actually started 
providing free land, moving the frontier westward. And it was actually one of the big issues of the Revolutionary War. The British did not want the western frontier to move beyond the original 13 American colonies. They kept the colonists from actually moving westward. So that was a bone of contention which led to the revolution. And there were lots of people in the established 13 colonies that did not want it to move westward because they saw that it would dilute their power if there were a bigger population forming west of the 13 colonies they would lose their political power and economic power if that did. So there's always been this contention between essentially the established part of America and the frontier part of America. And my contention is that the geographic free zone lasted from 1620 to 1890. But Mike, you and I have grown up in the second free zone frontier, which is the entrepreneurial free zone, which I think kind of started in the 1970s. I think probably the first personal computers, going back to the Commodore and the Atari, that was kind of like the first time that individuals had computers in their hands and they could start experimenting with them. So I don't know when you first came into contact with them, but mine was really the early 80s. It wasn't until it was more widespread. But I think that that's created now an entrepreneurial free zone which has actually got much more of a future than the geographic free zone. It's actually the entrepreneurial free zone. So my contention is that you're an entrepreneur, Mike, I'm an entrepreneur, and everywhere where I've made a breakthrough, it's where I've used existing underused resources, existing underused capabilities, and created brand new opportunities for me to operate in areas where I can be exponentially more productive and exponentially more profitable. So my goal is just keep pushing out the frontier where free zones can be created. And I think uh, podcasting is really a great example of where we would not have been able to do this 35 years ago, you know, when a production like today's podcast would have cost us more money than we actually had. But here, because of technology and because of the internet, we can actually create little free zones. So capability amplifier is what I would call a free zone frontier. This is really interesting, Dan. I've got a couple takes on it. I was taking a ton of notes as you were going through this and a few observations. So when you look at the geographic free zone, as you say, between 1620 and 1890, that was about land in a way. Freedom existed inside of land and acquiring that, being able to do something with the land and owning land and being able to expand. Entrepreneurial had to do with, you know, Mm post-industrial in a lot of ways where it's electronics started creating an enormous amount of wealth combined with investment in banking and consumerism Again, an infinite amount of wealth in a way when you look at Apple and Amazon that have been outcrops of all this and Microsoft, absolutely. You know, the wealthiest Mm -hmm. companies that exist, the most valuable. Mm -hmm. When we had our episode previously about Berkshire Hathaway, I'd say umbrella organizations that own super valuable. And again, this is new for them to be, you know, for Berkshire Hathaway to buy Apple stock, for example. And now Amazon and Microsoft, obviously. But here... I have another observation or a thought, which is 
the next free zone frontier is you talked about podcasting. I'll start with an idea, which my son, who's 16, a lot of his friends aren't getting driver's licenses. I know millennials who don't have driver's licenses because freedom exists inside a machine. To them, being free mm-hmm. is about being connected. Mm-hmm. And there's new free zones. One of them, for example, is what I call the virtual zone. So right now we've got augmented reality, virtual reality, mm-hmm. and even online mm-hmm. represents virtual real estate. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, in the gaming world, kids trade goods that are in digital worlds. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's digital currencies that represent, you know, these are ideas mm-hmm. that have value. Mm-hmm. You've also got the inner world, and I'm going to talk about like the world of spirit, not just spirituality, but cognition, the mental worlds. And that's another zone. Mm-hmm. I've been calling it the super being zone lately because anything that has to do with augmentation, enhancement of human consciousness, Mm -hmm. expansion, et cetera. But the other one we have right now is space. Mm -hmm. More and more, all the space stuff, SpaceX launched again. We now know besides privatization of space, Mm -hmm. some of the stuff that Peter Diamandis is doing, XPRIZE, et cetera, et cetera. That's another place where there's unlimited supplies Mm -hmm. of stuff Mm -hmm. there. And we know that Sometime in the not-so-distant future, we will most likely be populating Mars, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Elon's been focusing there. So again, the new free zones that represent unlimited, infinite Mm -hmm. wealth and opportunity are inner, virtual, and space. So what do you think about that? That's really great. One of the things that I talk about just using the American model, I think the American model is a good one. One, because... I think in the last thousand years, it's been the most exceptional event in human history. And my sense is that certainly the last 230 years since the formation of the, first of all, the establishment of the Constitution in the 1880s, and then the government forming in 1789-1790, And, you know, 230 years with basically the same operating system. I mean, if you didn't listen to the news, you'd think that things are going along pretty well the way they should. So there's the opposition party in the American experiment is actually the news media. You know, it's constantly pointing out what's wrong. But all you have to do is visit someplace else in the world and stay there for a couple of weeks. And you're pretty happy to get back to the mindlessness of the American. You know what I love about living among mindless people? They kind of leave you alone. (laughs) (laughs) People said, you know, Americans are so mindless. And I said, yeah, it's kind of neat. They're kind of into their own thing, you know, because everybody's got their own plan for the day, plan for the month, plan for the year, and uh, plan for a lifetime. And they're given a lot of space to actually develop their dreams. But three things that I think, in addition to the free land proposition that developed the United States, was kind of a formula which was a lived formula before it was a written formula. And that was that people could be self-determining. So if you were willing to go through the risk for moving, let's say, from continental Europe, you know, and it was a dangerous, you know, it was like six chances out of 10, you weren't going to make the trip. You know, you were going to die of scurvy or you were going to be shipwrecked or you're going to freeze to death. 
But they got there, and it probably required a fair amount of self-determination to even decide to make the jump. And then you could reinvent yourself. Didn't matter who you were in Europe, you could reinvent yourself. And the other thing is you could govern yourself. You were given a great deal of latitude. If you didn't bother other people and interfere with other people's lives, you were given a fair amount of self-governance. So, Mike, what I'd like you to do is tell your Free Zone Frontier story because it seems to me that your six reincarnations, your six reinventions over the last 30 years have really been the scoping out and exploring the next Free Zone Frontier. God, this is really fun. So thanks for that. No, I mean, I was so struck when you told your history on one of our podcasts. You know, it's kind of like what happened with each of the free zone frontiers. Well, the competition found out about it, and then there was regulation. Okay, so you had a window of opportunity from a year to two years or maybe three years, and then it started getting complicated again, and you'd say, gee, I wonder if we went here, I'd get back to that free zone again. I have to move the frontier in some different direction. Yeah, it's interesting because I've realized now what some of the driving force behind it is. As soon as something gets noisy, messy, hyper-competitive, I know it's time to leave because it's sort of like when someone makes a stink in a room, it's sort of like, I don't want to smell it. Neither one else does, but everyone's afraid to leave. You know, it's so I'm the first one to go. It stinks in here. I don't want to be here anymore. And to me, competition's stinky. I hate competition. I totally despise competition. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to either reinvent the rules or create a word that creates an umbrella on top of what everyone else is doing. Mm. So you can create a new conversation and own that too, right? Yeah. So when in doubt, create a brand new category that you made up. Yeah. But talk about self-determination because my feeling is that you've got powerful amounts of scar tissue to verify that each of these is true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're talking about it, obviously. The first one is, I want to be in control, as you say. So I'm going to reread what you say, which is self-determination is the individual capability to be in control of the circumstances, protecting and supporting personal improvement, achievement, and success. Yeah. Number one, I think it is, I know as soon as something is noisy, I define and like in my latest incarnation, here's what I remember. It was 18 months ago. I started feeling very anxious. And for the first time that I remember, I felt depressed. I didn't know what it was because it was actually a fairly foreign experience. I'm normally a happy guy. I was experiencing mental and chemical depression, and I did not want to get out of bed. I felt scared. Now, I know hormonally things were going on. I started like crying for no reason and feeling scared. And I felt like a failure, even though I had no evidence supporting that I had been a failure the way I liken it to, and I've had this conversation with a lot of entrepreneurs who once I open up the gateway and and am willing to talk about it, they say, well, I've had that too, which was I had outgrown who I was, what I did, why I did it, and who I did it for. Mm -hmm. The conversations no longer fit. Now, again, if you're a business owner with a organization that you identify with, it's part of your ego. And the notion of killing that thing or walking away from it also means, you know, you've got your own identity wrapped up in it. That is really hard for us as entrepreneurs. Yeah. But when the choice 
on a deep level becomes, I will either implode or explode. There is no choice. Winter must come and my identity needs to die with it. Mm-hmm. That's something I've consistently had conversations with what I would call born to be entrepreneurs mm-hmm. or also those that I self-identify with as being fellow aliens. Mm-hmm. And we know who we are. It's like when you are someone who never felt comfortable being part of the group because it, you just know you were mm-hmm. different and didn't belong. And the notion of being part of a team just didn't feel right. Being mm-hmm. part of oftentimes, not always, but like a organized religion or group is like, you're either going to be the leader or the creator or not at all. Yeah. And it's more painful to belong than it is to just do your own thing. Again, us aliens know what that feels like. Yeah. Well, can I bring up a distinction and just have you apply it to your experience? You know, I use a phrase, the skills that get you out of Egypt aren't the ones that get you into the promised land. So I see freedom of being sort of a reactive freedom where you are getting away from something. In other words, you know, the room stinks, it's getting crowded and it's hot and sweaty, and you want to get away from it. And then the other freedom is what I call creative freedom, and that is that you have in your mind an entirely new thing that you're going towards. You're only getting away from something is because it's wasting your time, wasting your resources, and you can better utilize them in a new situation. So, you know, on a 100% basis, where are you with that? 60-40? I mean, is it creative and then reactive? Because the two have to be there together. Because when you see something new, you got to reutilize what you have already accomplished in an entirely new way. So how does that relate? Yeah, wow. I haven't thought about this. So this is a really good exercise. What I definitely know is I just finished an exhaust cycle. So think of like a four-cylinder engine, the way it works is... There's two valves, one lets exhaust go out, one lets the gas air mixture come in, and a piston pulls down and sucks in, let's say, the gas air, and then the piston goes up to compress, and then the spark plug ignites, shoots the piston down, and then it goes up, Mm -hmm. and then the exhaust valve Mm -hmm. opens up and releases it, and it just does that. Mm -hmm. And what I would liken it to is... When I know the room stinks, there are economic cycles and there's always a compression spring Mm -hmm. going on. It's just like a pendulum. Mm -hmm. And I think humanity moves in waves. You know, Mm -hmm. we go from liberalism to conservatism. We go from the way entertainment works. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the period of time when it was a bunch of musicals during wartime, for example, people want to forget. So I think human beings are a giant organization. You know, we're individuals, but we're also a blob. We become an organ in an organism. Mm -hmm. The universe resembles itself on every level. The microcosm is the macrocosm, et cetera, et cetera. And it gets super, super woo-woo on you. I think if we could stand back and you would see humanity energetically from millions of miles away, you know, you'd look at the earth and you look over cycles over time. And when you look at you know, movies that show fast motion photography, you can just see the the movement. I know for me personally, I've historically been about three years ahead of the mm-hmm. curve in everything that I've done. And I intuitively could predict what was happening. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm going to use a case study and then I'm going to answer your question. So Mm -hmm. what happened to me after I had Digital Cafe, my first agency, we were the first digital marketing agency and we were one of the first to combine software with marketing, with filmmaking and agencies bought us and that evolved into the web. We did branded video games, some of the very first. Mm-hmm. You know, our biggest one was called Checks Quest, a video game that shipped in six million boxes of cereal. And it was sponsored by AOL. And if you break that down, it was only AOL at the time. That was like having Apple or Facebook sponsor a campaign. They wanted to sell subscriptions. Or Amazon. Yeah, or an Amazon, exactly. It was a huge deal and a massive risk. I mean, a lot of people put their butts on the line. And then Mm -hmm. we had a standard. So there was no internet to distribute this Mm -hmm. branded video game. So it was General Mills. Now think about it. What they had was distribution. Millions and millions of boxes of consumables that were cheap. $2 box of cereal. And inside it shipped video game. Yeah, it was on a disc, floppy disc or a CD-ROM, yes. With a $50 value video game. What a no-brainer, right? You were getting the 25 to 1 on your investment for a kid who was going to play something. Back then, you had to go to a store to buy a game. So we broke distribution. We broke the price barrier. Yeah. See, that's a free zone frontier. What I want to get is that you're actually a very normal person, not a freak, Because there's a normal part of the global population whose entire passion is creating new free zone frontiers, okay? And I'm saying it's probably one out of 400 individuals who have this instinct on a daily basis. It could be incremental, you know, you're just freeing something up, or it could be really exponential. So all I'm saying is that you're as normal as anyone I can think of if you use free zone frontier as your criteria. Is this a normal free zone frontiersman? That's interesting. I think I'm too close to my identity. Well, I think your freedom is still partially in the reactive zone. You're reacting against. It's so funny. I went to Las Vegas for the first time and, you know, I got back and a lot of my friends are people who despise Las Vegas, you know, or people I know. They said, oh, you know, it's so fake. And I said, yeah, but I said, I accept that as a given that it's fake, but it's really well done fake. I never gamble. I hate gambling. No, I don't gamble, but I just walk around and get a sense of like you walk into the Bellagio and it's the greatest glass ceiling in the world, you know, the entire ceiling, it's as big as a football field almost in there. And I said, you know, if you just step back from your judgment about whether this is good or bad and just say, is it skillful? And I said, you know, it's really skillful. I think that there's a real skill here. And it's obviously that Las Vegas created a free zone frontier from a desert town back in the 40s to, you know, a major tourist spot in the world. You know, and now there's competition all over the planet. There's Macau, which apparently is quite a bit bigger and more glitzy than Las Vegas. But what I'm saying is it's the instinct and your six reinventions are an indication that you're just a normal free zone frontiersman. I get it. I get it. Well, if we're going to continue the deconstruction mode, we'll get to the answer here because the Mm. the next thing that happened is after I sold Digital Cafe, what happened there was – Again, the system started to collapse in on itself. What Mm -hmm. occurred was it was during the dot-com revolution. Mm -hmm. 
everyone was going public and we had people approaching us saying, hey, you should take Digital Cafe public. And I'm like, we have a couple million dollars in revenue. How is that possible? Yeah. Goes, Smoke and mirrors, baby. I mean, they didn't say that, but, wow. but essentially all we have to do is create a story and people get excited about what you've done. And we're going to tell them we're going to do a whole bunch more of that. And I said, I can't do it predictably. That's like saying, write me a hit album. You know, we were doing early, you know, high visibility promos. I didn't see what we had. I was too yeah. close to the yeah. pain, which was, we were scrappy entrepreneurs, literally just out of the garage pulling stuff out of our rear ends in order to put food on the table. We were in survival mode and I was still suffering from the scars of my youth and that. And later on, it was a divorce with my high school sweetheart. I mean, I was too close to the pain yeah. and not enough of an adult. You know, it's like having a little rock star pop up. But anyway, here was what happened. I got interested in the next frontier, which the opportunity I saw was the internet started out and the notion of search engines was brand new. Yahoo was the biggie. Google hadn't even started yet. And then there were a bunch of copycats. Lycos, LookSmart, mm -hmm. GoTo, there's AltaVista. Anyone from the old days would recognize these things. And so what happened was there was a new science called search engine optimization. And there was a way to cheat the engine. So at the time, mm -hmm. people would hand code websites that were filled with words and the search engines would find them. And back then there weren't humans. It was just like dumb machines mm -hmm. finding stuff and putting it in a list so it was easy to find. Mm -hmm. Well, I wrote some code that would produce 50,000 highly optimized web pages in a minute yes. or less and then submit them and get the attention and I could basically dominate. Well, eventually some people figured out, well, you know, the search engine guys figured out how to stop Yeah, that. but uh, there again, yeah, that's yeah. a free zone. I mean, you're constantly a frontier explorer and pusher. Right. You're pushing the frontier and you're creating free zones. My feeling is that the only thing that's abnormal about that is that you don't see it as a normal activity. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Well, you know, I think the ego wants to make it special and the identity, you know. Yeah. And I don't have an attachment to that anymore. I really yeah. don't. But let's take the second point here, the reinvention, right. because what if being self-determined, reinventing yourself on a periodic basis and self-governance are just normal operating system for this farm boy from Minnesota? I see it. I see it in other people. I'm a farm boy from Ohio. Totally. You know? Yeah. And I have no similarity whatsoever to my siblings. I have six siblings. And if you go into the relatives out from us, there's no similarity. I just went in a different route. And I hang around with people who are free zone frontiers people. It absolutely makes sense. You know, like of tracks like. I have a super weird woo woo theory a story like a parable. You want to hear my parable about why this is? Imagine for a moment, you know, you look at the universe, the universe recycles itself all the time. You mm -hmm. talk about like when you quit becoming useful to the universe, it has a tendency to want to recycle itself. Or it recycle. wants the materials back yeah. so it can produce more energy. <laughs> right. So what if like we look at ourselves and we look at the world around us as having matter, a collection of matter, and it organizes itself in these amazing ways, whether it's a diamond or a human being or whatever, the parts are recycled all the time. Well, what if energetically, the parts recycle themselves and souls or consciousness is recycled yeah, too. Yeah. What if it gets reused? Yeah. And what if 
what if there are many, many alien species and alien planets and souls, in fact, are not necessarily human souls. They could be alien souls too. What if, and what if once in a while an alien soul inhabits a human soul and when you meet someone who you'd say is a low-frequency drone, for example, and you're like, you have nothing in common, and they just consume, excrete, and breed, all right? <laughs> and let's say you've got creators, you know, like the Da Vinci's or, you know, whatever, you know, the high-level, like, holy cow, the Musk's, the Elon Musk or the Jobses of the world. And then in between, there's whomever else. So, the whole idea of, wouldn't it make sense that you'd resonate with fellow aliens, and then there's other aliens, the low-frequency aliens, you don't resonate with? Let's just pretend that. Mm-hmm. So, I think that there could, in fact, be a breed of little aliens that are here just to keep evolution in motion all the time, because without expansion and without evolution, there is death. Yeah. It is the nature of what there is, and we've conditioned ourselves through whether it's traumas from our youth or this deep need to just be a creator and what we have in combination that's self-determined, reinventive, and self-governing is a rule set that just says, I must be what I am. I spot, not me, I'm not saying me, Mike, meaning us inventors, is we have a need to spot trends and solve problems And that is our artistic expression. Yeah. Just as our soul's purpose, it is what we are. And as soon as there's a crowded room that gets stinky, we just know it's time to move on and make the next thing. Our service to that era, that moment in time is over with. And to find another free zone. And again, I think of the universe consciousness time is constantly expanding as is their purpose as a race. You know, if you want to get religious about it, if you say we were created in God's image, what in fact is God but creation, expansion, love, and gratitude, this is an active purpose that is built within us. What a gift to be able to find that opportunity and be able to self-express and be rewarded for it at the same time. It is liberty. It is freedom. It is creativity at its finest. It's the American dream. Well, I was just reflecting back on a previous podcast where you talked about Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger at Berkshire Hathaway, 89 years old and 95 years old. And, you know, I was just thinking about it as you were telling the story. And I said, probably they've lived that long and they're still functional because their life has been more about energy than about matter. I couldn't agree more. Here's what they have in common. Here's the common theme. And I see that amongst us fellow aliens, is constantly reading, constantly learning, constantly willing to re-examine self and willing to destroy the notion, in other words, to reframe and reinvent and be able to relinquish the need to be associated with a story that no longer Mm -hmm. serves who we are. We're willing to outgrow ourselves and cast it aside because evolution is required Look at them. They eat crap. They really do, visibly. And it's like they're in the crap-making business. My wife says, how could you support that? They're in the business of poisoning people. I'd be like, that's a point of view. 
Yeah, but they haven't poisoned themselves, so that's... <laughs> exactly. Uh, you it's, know, it's and their users, at least Warren is. I don't know if Charlie is as much a user. Oh, Charlie's up there drinking Coca-Cola and yeah, Dr. Pepper. But apparently, if you go to Warren Buffett's house, when you come in the front door, you pass through cases of Coke. No use taking it in. It isn't going to last long, you know. <laughs> it's funny as hell. Yeah. But yeah, that is it. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, this started just with a graphic about the movement of a frontier. But I think that the experience of moving the American frontier from the Atlantic to the Pacific over almost three centuries actually created a mindset in the world that really hadn't existed in a concentrated form. It had critical mass because of the growing population and then the economic power, political power, military power that came with this. And so I'm just exploring this concept is that it's a specific example of a general rule that the people who actually move things forward are people who spot free spaces, free zones for themselves and become a pioneer in pushing out the frontier. I think we're doing that here on the podcast. I think we do it each in our own entrepreneurial businesses. It'd be interesting to concentrate why you've had six reinventions and I'm still working with the original one. We can sort of compare because we're kind of contrasting models about how you go about this. Right. Well, I'd be willing, first of all, to hit that in a next episode. Yeah. Because I have been thinking about it and I've actually been running the simulation cycle through my mind using strategic coach as a model in my own and saying, huh, I wonder what's different here. Yeah. And I do have some insights. So why don't we just okay. tackle that? Why don't we do that the next one? Yeah. Let's make it happen. All right. Well, in the meantime, head on over right now to capabilityamplifier.com and there you can get a copy of Dan's Free Zone Frontier graphic. You can see this and understand how you fit within it. So in the meantime, the best thing that you can do is expand your capabilities, amplify them, continue to evolve, and be willing to let go of who you are when it's the right time to break out and achieve the next level of success in your life and have the lifestyle you've always been looking for and freedom to. Dan Sullivan, thanks for being here. This is Mike Canigs. We'll see you in the next episode of Capability Amplifier. Will you head over to iTunes right now to rate the Capability Amplifier show? Every rating and review helps spread the message and create more empowered entrepreneurs like you. And if you've already done that, please share this episode with a friend who you know can benefit from Capability Amplifier. And if you have any questions or suggestions, head over to capabilityamplifier.com. There you can leave us an audio message and Dan and I listen to every single one of them. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you soon.